Chapter Ten, Part One of History of the Catholic Church from the Renaissance to the French Revolution, Volume Two, by Reverend James McCaffrey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Church in Ireland during the Reign of the Stuarts, sixteen o four to sixteen eighty nine. The news of the death of Queen Elizabeth and of the accession of James I came as a welcome relief to the great body of the Catholics of Ireland, as the son of Mary Queen of Scots and in a sense the descendant of the irish kings of scotland he was regarded with favour both within and without the pale while king of scotland he had been in communication with the pope with the catholic sovereigns of the continent and with o'neill and even after he had been proclaimed in london he promised some of the leading catholic lords that they might expect at least toleration without however waiting for any such promises the catholics in the leading cities of the east and south made open profession of their religion in Kilkenny, Thomastown, Waterford, Wexford, Cashel, Cork, Limerick, etc., they took possession of the churches, abolished the Protestant service wherever it had been introduced, and restored the Mass. James White, Vicar General of Waterford, made himself especially conspicuous as the leader in this movement in the southeastern portion of Ireland. Lord Mountjoy was in a difficult position. He was uncertain as to the religious policy of the king, but in the end he determined to suppress the Catholic movement by force. He marched south to Kilkenny, and thence to Waterford, where he had an interview with Dr. White. Everywhere the churches were restored to the Protestants, though it was hinted that the Mass might still be celebrated privately as in the days of Elizabeth. In Cork the condition of affairs was much more serious, and it was necessary to bring up the guns from Hobbeline before the mayor and citizens could be induced to submit. Reports came in from all sides that the country was swarming with Jesuits and seminary priests, that they were stirring up the people to join hands with the King of Spain, and to throw off their allegiance to James I. These rumors were without foundation, as is shown by the fact that most of the towns and cities in Leinster and Munster, which were noted as specially Catholic, had not stirred a finger to help O'Neill in his war against Elizabeth. But they were put in circulation to prejudice the mind of King James against his Irish Catholic subjects, and to wean him away from the policy of toleration, which he was said to favour. Loftus, Archbishop of Dublin, and Jones, Bishop of Meath, hastened to warn the king against the policy of toleration. They threw the whole blame of the late war on the Jesuits and seminary priests, and cast doubts upon the loyalty of the Catholic noblemen of the Pale. They called upon his majesty to make it clear, even in the morning of his reign, that he was ready to maintain the true worship and religion of jesus christ to let the people understand that he will never permit and suffer that which in his godly zeal he so much abhors to devise some means of preventing the plots and aims of jesuits and seminary priests who come daily from beyond the seas teaching openly that a king wanting the pope's confirmation is not a lawful king to send over some learned and discreet preachers to the principal cities and towns and to compel the people by some moderate coactions to come to church to hear their sermons and exhortations as a means of spreading the new gospel amongst the irish people it was recommended that a learned ministry be planted and that the abuses of the clergy be reformed that all bishops jesuits seminary priests and friars should be banished from the kingdom that no lawyer be admitted to the bar or to the privy council unless they attended the protestant service and that all sheriffs, mayors, justices of the peace, recorders, judges, and officials be forced to take the oath of supremacy. Loftus and Jones insisted, furthermore, that Catholic parents should be forbidden to send their children to Douay and Reims, and should be compelled to send them to the Protestant diocesan schools. 
they reported that although the bishop of meath had opened a school in trim at great expense to himself only six scholars attended and that when the teachers began to use prayers in the school and to show themselves desirous of bringing their pupils to church the pupils departed and the teachers though graduates of the university were left without any work to do as james showed great reluctance to take any active measures against the catholics bronker the president of munster lyons protestant bishop of cork and the other members of the council of munster issued a proclamation fourteenth august sixteen o four ordering all jesuits seminaries and massing priests of what sort soever as are remaining within one of the corporate towns of the province to leave before the last day of september and not to return for seven years any persons receiving or relieving any such criminals were threatened with imprisonment during his majesty's pleasure and with a fine of forty pounds for every such offence and whosoever should bring to the lord president and council the bodies of any jesuits seminaries or massing priests were promised a reward of forty pounds for every jesuit six pounds three shillings four pence for every seminary priest and five pounds for every massing priest fearing however that his action might be displeasing to the king bronker took care to write to cecil though the cities of the south were crowded with seminary priests who said mass publicly in the best houses even in the hearing of all men and that he had delayed taking action till they began to declare boldly that his majesty was pleased to tolerate their idolatry sir john davies a native of wiltshire who was made solicitor-general for ireland on account of his poetical talent was not opposed to the policy of repression but at the same time he held firmly that until the protestant church in ireland was itself reformed there could be no hope of converting the irish people writing to cecil february sixteen o four he is informed he says that the churchmen for the most part throughout the kingdom are mere idols and ciphers and such as cannot read if they should stand in need of the benefit of their clergy and yet the most of those whereof many be serving men and some horse-boys are not without two or three benefices apiece for the court of faculties doth qualify all manners of persons and dispense with all manner of non-residences and pluralities the churches are ruined and fallen to the ground in all parts of the kingdom there is no divine service no christening of children no receiving of the sacraments no christian meeting or assembly no not once in a year in a word no more demonstration of religion than among tartars or cannibals in his opinion there was no use in asking the bishops of the pale to hold an inquiry into the abuses for they themselves were privy to them but if the business is to be really performed let visitors be sent out of england such as never heard a cow speak and understand not that language that they may examine the abuses of the court of faculties of the simoniacal contracts of the dilapidations and desertion of the churches that they may find the true value of the benefices and who takes the profits and to whose uses to deprive these serving men and unlettered kern that are now incumbents and to place some of the poor scholars of the college who are learned and zealous protestants to bring others out of that part of scotland that borders on the north of ireland who can preach the irish tongue and to transplant others out of england and to place them within the english pale at last yielding to the advices that poured in on him from all sides james i determined to banish the jesuits and seminary priests in the hope that when they were removed the people might be induced to submit and to insist on compliance with the terms of the act of uniformity he issued a proclamation fourth july sixteen o five denying the rumour that he intended to give liberty of conscience or toleration of religion to his irish subjects and denouncing such a report as a libel on himself 
as if he were more remiss or less careful in the government of the church of ireland than of those other churches whereof he has supreme charge he commanded all jesuits seminary priests or other priests whatsoever made and ordained by any authority derived or pretended to be derived from the see of rome to depart from the kingdom before the end of december all priests who refused to obey or who ventured to come into ireland after that date and all who received or assisted such persons were to be arrested and punished according to the laws and statutes of that realm and all the people were exhorted to come to their several parish churches or chapels to hear divine service every sunday and holiday under threat of being punished for disobedience the royal proclamation produced little or no effect the jesuits and seminary priests remained and even increased in numbers by new arrivals in the continental colleges and from england where the law was more strictly enforced nor could the leading citizens the mayors and the aldermen of the principal cities be forced to come to church because they preferred to pay the fine of twelve pence prescribed in the act of uniformity for each offence the government officials determined therefore to have recourse to more severe if less legal remedies they selected a certain number of wealthy citizens of dublin addressed to each of them an individual mandate in the king's name ordering them to go to church on a certain specified sunday and treated disobedience to such an order as an offence punishable by common law six of the aldermen were condemned to pay a fine of one hundred pounds and three citizens fifty pounds one half of the fine to be devoted to the repairing of decayed churches or chapels or other charitable use the other half to go to the royal treasury in addition to this they were condemned to imprisonment at the will of the lord deputy and declared incapable of holding any office in the city of dublin or in any other part of the kingdom twenty second november sixteen o five a few days later other aldermen and citizens of dublin were brought before the irish star chamber and having been interrogated why they did not repair to their parish churches they replied that their consciences led them to the contrary they were punished in a similar manner thus two methods were adopted for enforcing obedience to the act of uniformity one the infliction on the poor of the fine of twelve pence prescribed for each offence by the law of fifteen sixty the other the promulgation of individual mandates disobedience to which was to be punished by the court of star chamber the noblemen of the pale alarmed by such high-handed action presented a petition against the measures taken for the suppression of their religion praying that the toleration extended to them hitherto should be continued in reply to their petition the viscount gormanston sir james dillon sir patrick barnwall and others were committed as prisoners to the castle and others of the petitioners were confined to their houses in the country and bound to appear before the star chamber at the opening of the next term december sixteen o five sir patrick barnwall the first gentleman's son of quality that was ever put out of ireland to be brought up in learning beyond the seas was the ablest of the catholic palesmen and was sent into england at the request of the english authorities the appeal of these catholic lords backed as it was by the danger of a new and more general rebellion was not without its effects in england in january sixteen o seven the privy council in england wrote to sir arthur chichester lord deputy that although the reformation of the people of ireland extremely addicted to popish superstition by the instigation of the seminary priests and jesuits is greatly to be wished and by all means endeavoured still a temperate course ought to be preserved there should be no question of granting toleration but at the same time there should be no startling of the multitude by any general or rigorous compulsion 
the principal men in the cities who show themselves to be the greatest offenders should be punished the priests and friars should be banished but no curious particular search should be made for them viscount gormanston and his companions should be released under recognizances except sir patrick barnwall who was to be sent into england the dublin aldermen should be treated in a similar manner but should be obliged to pay the fines and the protestant clergy should be exhorted to take special pains to plant the new religion where the people have been least civil but chichester davies brounker and their companions had no intention of listening to the counsels of moderation they continued to indict the poorer classes according to the clauses of the act of uniformity and to cite the wealthier citizens before the star chamber for disobedience to the royal mandates in waterford sir john davies reported we proceeded against the principal aldermen by way of censure at the council table of the province for their several contempts against the king's proclamations and the special commandments of the lord president under the council seat of munster against the multitude we proceeded by way of indictment upon the statute of two elizabeth which giveth only twelve pence for absence from church every sunday and holiday the fines imposed at the table were not heavy being upon some fifty pounds apiece upon others forty pounds so that the total sum came to but four hundred pounds but there were so many of the commoners indicted that the penalty given by the statute twelve pence came to two hundred forty pounds or thereabouts punishments of a similar kind were inflicted in new ross wexford clonmel cashel ugall limerick cork and in all the smaller towns throughout munster in cork the mayor was fined one hundred pounds and in limerick more than two hundred of the burgesses were indicted the fines paid by these being given for the repair of the cathedral steps were also taken in connaught to enforce attendance at the protestant service five of the principal citizens of galway were summoned before the court and fined in sums varying from forty pounds to twenty pounds and punishments of a lesser kind were inflicted in other portions of the province in drogheda the greatest number of the householders together with their wives children and servants were summoned and fined for non-attendance at church in meath westmeath longford king's county and queen's county the government officials were particularly busy but though here and there a few of the prominent citizens and of the poorer classes were driven into public conformity by fear of punishment the work of winning over the people to protestantism made little progress in cashel the commissioners reported sixteen o six that they found only one inhabitant who came to church and even the archbishop's magrath own sons and sons-in-law dwelling there were noted as obstinate recusants brounker president of munster was particularly severe in his repressive measures so much so that on his death sixteen o six his successors were able to announce that almost all the men of the towns were either prisoners or upon bonds and other contempts but they added the further information that many of those who had been comfortable in his time had again relapsed the protestant bishop of cork complained sixteen o seven that in cork kinsale ugal and in all the country over which he had charge no marriages christenings etc were done except by popish priests for seven years that the country was run over by friars and priests who were called fathers that every gentleman and lord of the country had his chaplains that massing is in every place idolatry is publicly maintained god's word and his truth is trodden down under foot despised railed at and contemned of all the ministers not esteemed no not with them that should reverence and countenance them the professors of the gospel he added may learn of these idolaters to regard their pastors 
sir john davies with his usual keen insight placed the blame for the comparative failure of the protestant clergy if our bishops and others that have care of souls he wrote sixteen o six were but half as diligent in their several charges as these men the jesuits and seminary priests are in the places where they haunt the people would not receive and nourish them as now they do but it is the extreme negligence and remissness of our clergy here which was first the cause of the general desertion and apostasy and is now again the impediment of reformation the catholics had protested continually against the proceedings under royal mandates as illegal and their protests were brought before the english privy council by sir patrick barnwall who had been sent over to london as a prisoner the judges in england condemned the proceedings in ireland as unwarrantable and without precedent Barma was allowed to return to Ireland in 1607, and the new method of baggering or Protestantizing the wealthier class of Irish Catholics was dropped for the time. The king had been advised, too, to enforce the oath of supremacy in case of all officials of the crown. Though in the beginning of the reign of Elizabeth something had been done in that direction, yet in later times, owing to the dangerous condition of the country, Catholic officials were not called upon to renounce the Pope. As a result, when James ascended the throne, many of the judges were Catholic, as were, also, the great body of the lawyers. In response to the advice from Ireland that judges who refused to attend church and to take the oath should be dismissed, and that recusant lawyers should be debarred from practicing in the courts, James instructed the council to induce John Everard, a justice of the common pleas, to resign or conform. The mayors and aldermen of the cities, too, had never taken the oath of supremacy, in 1607 the lord deputy and council of ireland informed the privy council in england that most of the mayors and principal officers of cities and corporate towns and justices of the peace of this country both refused to take the oath of supremacy as is requisite by the statute and for an instance the party that should this year have been mayor of dublin avoided it to his very great charges only because he would not take the oath the contention apparently was that the mayors not being crown officials were not bound to take the oath but the lawyers decided against such a view and steps were taken to imprison those mayors who refused and to destroy the church of recusant corporations still in spite of the attempted banishment of the clergy the enforcement of attendance at church by fines and the punishment inflicted on the officials who refused to take the oath the deputy and council were forced to admit that they had made no progress the people they wrote sixteen o seven in many places resort to mass now in greater multitudes both in town and country than for many years past and if it chance that any priest known to be factious and working be apprehended both men and women will not stick to rescue the party in no less multitudes do these priests hold general councils and conventicles together many times about their affairs and to be short they have so far withdrawn the people from all reverence and fear of the laws and loyalty towards his majesty and brought their business already to this pass that such as are conformed and go to church are everywhere derided scorned and oppressed by the multitude to their great discouragement and to the scandal of all good men although the persecution of james i was violent the catholics were well prepared to meet the storm the Jesuits had sent some of their best men to Ireland, including Henry Fitzsimmon, who was thrown into prison, and after a long detention sent into exile. Christopher Holywood, James Archer, Andrew Moroni, Barnabas Kearney, etc., and although there were complaints that their college in Salamanca showed undue favor to the Anglo-Irish, this college, as well as the other colleges abroad, continued to pour priests into Ireland, both able and willing to sustain the Catholic religion. 
the dominicans and franciscans received great help from their colleges on the continent so that their numbers increased rapidly and they were able to devote more attention to instructing the people as in england the young generation of priests both secular and regular sent out from the colleges in france spain and the netherlands were much more active and more determined to hold their own than those who had preceded them they were in close touch with rome where their agents kept the papal court informed of what was going on in ireland clement the eighth hastened to send his congratulations to james i on his accession to the throne and to plead with him for toleration for his catholic subjects james white vicar general of waterford wrote sixteen o five to inform cardinal baronius of the measures that had been taken to suppress the catholic religion and to offer his good wishes to paul v the latter forwarded a very touching letter in which he expressed his sympathy with the irish church commended the fidelity of the irish people and exhorted them to stand firm in the face of persecution the only weak point that might be noted at this period was the almost complete destruction of the irish hierarchy o'dovany of down and connor brady the franciscan bishop of kilmore and o'boyle of raffle were the only bishops remaining in the province of ulster since the murder of redmond o'gallagher of derry peter lombard had been appointed archbishop of Armagh, 1601 but he never visited his diocese in the province of leinster matthew de oviedo a spanish franciscan had been appointed to dublin 1600 and had come to kinsale with the forces of spain he returned to plead for a new expedition to ireland another spanish franciscan francis de ribera had been appointed to leyland 1587 and he died in 1604 without having done any work in his diocese the rest of the sees in leinster were vacant in munster david o'kearney was named archbishop cashel sixteen o three and soon showed himself to be a man of great activity and fearlessness dermond mccraw of cork had been for years the only bishop in the province and had exercised the functions of his office not merely in the south but throughout the province of leinster in the province of tuam all the sees were vacant wherever there was no bishop in residence care was taken to appoint vicars in dublin bernard moriarty who acted as vicar was arrested in the franciscan convent in multifernan in sixteen o one and died in prison from the wounds he received from the soldiers robert laylor who acted in the same capacity was arrested tried and banished in sixteen o six although the earl of tyrone had been restored to his estates and had been received graciously by the king sixteen o three he was both distrusted and feared by the government sir arthur chichester who had come to act as Lord Mountjoy's deputy in 1605, and who was appointed Lord Lieutenant on the death of the latter, 1607, was determined to get possession of Ulster, either by driving O'Neill into rebellion or by bringing against him some charge of conspiracy. New and insulting demands were made upon O'Neill. The Protestant Archbishop of Armagh and the Protestant Bishop of Derry and Raphoe claimed large portions of his territories as belonging to their churches, and some of the minor chieftains were urged on to appeal against him to the English authorities. Having learned in 1607 that he stood in danger of arrest, he and Roy O'Donnell determined to leave Ireland. In September 1607 they sailed from Rathmullen, and on the 4th October they landed in France after many wanderings they made their way to rome where they received a generous welcome from paul v o'donnell died in sixteen o eight and o'neill who had cherished till the last a hope of returning to ireland died in sixteen sixteen both chieftains were laid to rest in the church of st pietro de montorio 
although the flight of the earls caused a great sensation both in england and ireland and although james i was said to have been pained by their departure and even to have thought for a time of granting religious toleration chichester and his companions were delighted at the result of their work the flight of tyrone and tarconnell the attempt at rebellion of sir cahir o'dowerty and the trumped-up charges brought against some of the other noblemen in the north opened up the prospect of a new and greater plantation than had ever been attempted before tyrone fermanagh donegal derry armagh and cavan were confiscated to the crown at one stroke and preparations were made to carry out the plantation in a scientific manner the greater portion of the territory was divided into lots of two thousand one thousand five hundred and one thousand acres the undertakers who were to get the largest grants were to be the english or scotch protestants and were to have none but english or scotch protestant tenants those who were to get the one thousand five hundred acres were to be protestants themselves and were to have none but protestant tenants while the portions of one thousand acres each might be parcelled out amongst english scotch or irish and from these catholics were not excluded thousands of acres were appropriated for the support of the protestant religion for the maintenance of protestant schools and for the upkeep of trinity college a small portion was kept for a few of the old catholic proprietors and the remainder of the population were ordered to leave these districts before the first may sixteen o nine many of them remained however preferring to take small tracts of the mountain and bog land from the new proprietors than to trust themselves amongst strangers but a great number of the able-bodied amongst them were caught and shipped to serve as soldiers in the army of sweden for some time after the flight of the earls there seems to have been a slight law in the persecution the king and his advisers fearing perhaps that their action was only a prelude to a more general rebellion in the course of which o'neill might return at the head of a spanish force but once it was clear that no danger was to be apprehended the irish officials began to urge once more recourse to extreme measures fines were levied on catholic towns some of which however were remitted by the king it was represented to salisbury sixteen o nine that the catholics had grown much more bold even in dublin that in the country they drew thousands to their idolatrous sacrifices and that the jesuits stirred up the forces of disloyalty the writer of this letter recommended that the fine of twelve pence should be exacted off the poor every time they absented themselves from religious services that so much should be levied off the rich as would suffice to repair all the churches and build free schools in every county and he himself undertook to pay four thousand pounds a year for the right to collect the fines of the recusants in munster leinster and connaught provided only that he could count on the support of the ecclesiastical and civil authorities in the following year chichester informed the authorities in england that the mayors of cities and towns for the most part refused to take the oath of supremacy as did also the sheriffs bailiffs etc and he inquired in what manner he should act towards them to put an end to this state of affairs andrew knox was sent over to ireland as bishop of raffo and was commissioned to take measures to stir up the protestant bishops and to suppress popery on his arrival he found that he had a heavy task before him in a letter to the archbishop of canterbury sixteen eleven he wrote that there were only four men in the ministry who have knowledge or care to propagate the evangel the defection he wrote is so great of those who sometimes profess the truth that where hundreds came to several churches before their resort now scarce six the gathering and flocking in great numbers of jesuits seminary priests friars and getting papists of all sorts are so frequent from rome and all parts beyond the seas 
that it seems to him the greatest lading the ships bring to this country are burdens of them their books clothes crosses and ceremonies natives and others in corporate towns publicly profess themselves their maintainers there is no diocese but it has a bishop appointed and consecrated by the pope nor province that wants an archbishop nor parish without a priest all actually serving their time and the pope's direction and plenteously maintained by the people so that the few ministers that are and bishops that profess to do any good profit no more than lot did in sodom in short it may be expected that if god the king and his grace prevent not this unnatural growth of superstition the face of the kingdom will be shortly clad with this darkness he lost no time in summoning a meeting of the bishops sixteen eleven most of whom according to him were not very reliable the archbishop of dublin jones was burdened with the cares of state the archbishop of armagh was somewhat old and unable the archbishop of cashel mcgrath was old and unable whose wife and children would not accompany him to the church the archbishop of tuam was well-willed and best learned but wanted maintainers and helpers and the bishops of waterford and limerick were described as having no credit in accordance with the instructions that had been forwarded to them by the king they agreed that they would take common action for the suppression of papistry and the plantation of religion that they would observe the law of residence in their several dioceses that they would make visitations every year of their parishes and inquire into the condition of the churches and the behaviour of their ministers that by authority of his majesty's commission they would carefully tender the oath of allegiance to every nobleman knight justice of the peace and other officers of corporate towns and make a return to the lord deputy of those who took the oath as well as of those who refused it that they would admit no cleric to any spiritual promotion who would not willingly take the oath of supremacy and that they would inquire in every deanery what persons receive or harbour trafficking priests jesuits seminaries and massing priests and friars and will present their names together with the names of the said priests and jesuits to the lord deputy a royal proclamation was issued sixteen sixty one ordering all jesuits and priests to depart from the kingdom immediately the laity were commanded to attend the protestant service under threat of severe penalties students in foreign colleges were ordered to return at once and catholic schoolmasters were forbidden to teach within the kingdom backed by all the powers of the crown knox and his fellow bishops set up a terrible inquisition in every part of the country and spared no pains to hound down the clergy and those who entertained them to drive the poorer classes by brute force into the church to harass the better classes by threats and examinations and to wipe out every vestige of the catholic religion cornelius o'devany a franciscan who had been appointed bishop of down and connor fifteen eighty two was arrested together with a priest who accompanied him was tried in dublin and was hanged drawn and quartered sixteen twelve almost at the same time the protestant bishop of down and connor was accused of incontinence the turning away of his wife and taking the wife of his manservant in her room subordination of witnesses and alienation of the diocesan property he fled from his diocese was arrested degraded and died in prison the archbishop of glasgow and bishop knox of ruffo himself a scotchman hastened to london to secure the appointment of one of their countrymen as his successor but chichester wrote that though he would not say that scotchmen were not good men he could aver that they were hot-spirited and very griping and such as were not fit for these parts several attempts were made to arrest dr eugene matthews or mcmahon who had been transferred sixteen eleven by the pope from clogger to the archbishopric of dublin 
he was detested especially by the government because it was thought that he owed his promotion to the influence of o'neill who was also suspected of having had a voice in the appointment of the learned franciscan florence conry de tuon sixteen o nine during the course of these years jurors were threatened by the crown lawyers with the star chamber unless they found a verdict of guilty and were sent to prison for not returning a proper verdict against those accused by the protestant ministers of not attending church wars of court though catholic were committed to the guardianship of protestants and in every grant a special clause was inserted that the ward shall be brought up at the college near dublin trinity college in english habit and religion the irish were excluded from all offices men of no property were appointed as sheriffs and the fines for non-attendance at church were levied strictly instead of being applied to the relief of the poor they found their way according to the catholic lords of the pale into the pockets of the ministers in reply to this last charge chichester asserted that they were not given to the poor because all the poor were recusants but they were employed in the rebuilding of churches bridges and like charitable purposes yet knox did not succeed in uprooting the catholic faith in ireland according to a report furnished sixteen thirteen to the holy see by monsignor bindevoglio internuncio at brussels whose duty it was to superintend affairs in ireland heresy had made little progress even in the cities while the nobility and gentry were nearly all catholic there were then in ireland about eight hundred secular priests one hundred and thirty franciscans twenty jesuits and a few benedictines and dominicans of whom the franciscans were held in special esteem the best of the secular clergy were those who came from douay bordeaux lisbon and salamanca in the following year sixteen fourteen archbishop matthews of dublin held a provincial synod at kilkenny at which many useful regulations were made regarding the conduct of the clergy preaching catechizing the celebration of mass the administration of the sacraments the relations between the secular and regular clergy the reading of controversial literature and the observance and number of fast days and holy days in the province of armagh dr roth acting under authority received from peter lombard convoked a provincial synod at drogheda sixteen fourteen it was attended by vicars from the several dioceses and by representatives of the various religious orders and passed regulations somewhat similar to those enacted at kilkenny in both synods the clergy were warned to abstain from the discussion of state affairs and from disobedience to the civil rulers in temporal matters at drogheda the new oath of allegiance framed by james i was condemned as being opposed to faith and religion catholics were commanded not to have recourse to prevarication were wavering in regard to it but to reject it openly and were warned against attendance at divine worship in protestant churches even though they had previously made a declaration that they meant only to pay a mark of respect to the civil rulers at the same period the franciscans and dominicans founded new colleges on the continent at douay and lisbon to supply priests for their missions in ireland during the later years of elizabeth's reign the disturbed condition of the country made it impossible to convene a parliament and after the accession of james i his advisers feared to summon such a body lest they might be unable to control it still they never lost sight of the advantage it would be to their cause could they secure parliamentary sanction for the confiscation and plantation of ulster and for the new methods employed for the punishment of recusants these for so far had behind them only the force of royal proclamations and their legality was open to the gravest doubt the great obstacle that must be overcome before a parliament could be convoked was the fact that both in the house of commons and in the house of lords the catholics might find themselves in a majority 
to prevent such a dire catastrophe it was determined to create a number of new parliamentary boroughs so that many places that could scarcely pass the rank of the poorest villages in the poorest country in christendom were allowed to return members provided only that it was certain they would return protestants nineteen of the thirty-nine new boroughs were situated in ulster where the plantations had given the english and scotch settlers a preponderance in the house of lords the situation was also critical but it was hoped that by summoning all the protestant bishops and also certain peers of england who had got grants of territory in ireland the government could count on a majority especially as some of the catholic lords were minors and as such not entitled to sit for months the plans for packing the parliament and for preparing a scheme of anti-catholic legislation were being concocted and the catholic lords knowing well what was going on felt so alarmed that they lodged a solemn protest with the king against the erection of towns and corporations consisting of some few poor and beggarly cottages into parliamentary boroughs against the wholesale exclusion of catholics from office on account of their religion and conjured the king to give order that the proceedings of parliament may be conducted with moderation and indifferency in spite of this protest the new boroughs were created and the elections were carried out in the most high-handed manner the sheriffs hesitating at nothing so long as they could secure the nomination of protestant representatives on the day preceding the opening of parliament fixed for eighteenth may sixteen thirteen the catholic lords of the pale addressed a protest to the lord deputy they asserted that while several of the irish catholic nobles entitled to sit in the house of lords were not summoned english and scotch lords already parliament and other kingdoms had been invited to attend that new corporations had been created many of them since parliament was summoned without any right or title except to assure a protestant majority that the sheriffs and returning officers had acted most unfairly during the election and that the parliament sitting in the principal fort and castle of the kingdom surrounded by numbers of armed men could not be regarded as a free assembly when the house of commons met on the following day the catholics proposed that sir john everard who had been dismissed from his office of judge because he refused the oath of supremacy should be elected speaker while the protestants proposed sir john davies for this position the catholics knowing well that if the returns of the sheriffs were accepted they would find themselves in the minority maintained that the members against whose return objection had been lodged should not be allowed to vote on this being refused they tried to prevent a vote being taken and when the supporters of davies left the chamber to take account the catholics installed sir john everard in the chair the protestants claiming that they had a clear majority one hundred and twenty seven out of a possible two hundred and thirty two removed sir john everard by force and adopted sir john davies as speaker the catholics then left the chamber and both lords and commoners refused to attend any further sessions until they should have laid their grievances before the king in consequence of their refusal it was necessary to suspend the parliamentary session and both parties directed all their attention to an appeal to the king the catholics sent to london as their representatives lords gormanston and dunboyne sir james gow and sir christopher plunkett william talbot and edward fitzharris and a general levy was made throughout the kingdom to raise money to pay their expenses a great deal of time was wasted in inquiries in london and in ireland james found it difficult to decide against the lord deputy while at the same time he could not shut his eyes to the justice of several of the claimants brought under his notice by the catholics 
at one time he promised their delegates that he would not interfere with the free exercise of their religion provided they admitted it was not lawful to deprive him of his crown or to offer violence to his person but when the lord deputy wrote warning him of the effect this speech had produced in ireland james while not denying that he had used the words attributed to him issued a proclamation announcing that he would never grant religious toleration and ordering all bishops jesuits friars and priests to depart from the kingdom before the thirtieth of september sixteen fourteen in april sixteen fourteen the king decided to annul thirteen of the returns impeached by the catholics but in regard to the other matters of complaint he gave judgment in favour of the lord deputy in a personal interview with the catholic lords he pointed out that it was his privilege to create as many peers and parliamentary boroughs as he liked the more the merrier the fewer the better cheer he informed them too that they were only half subjects so long as they acknowledged the pope and could therefore expect to have only half privileges and expressed the hope that by their future good behaviour in parliament they might merit not only his pardon but his favour and cherishing in october sixteen fourteen parliament was at last ready to proceed with its business during the course of the negotiations it would appear that the plan of passing new penal legislation against catholics was abandoned it was intended at first to enact a very severe measure for the expulsion of jesuits and seminary priests and another frame with the intention of making the laws against catholics in england binding in ireland but these clauses were struck out probably as a result of a bargain between the catholic lords and the king in return for this toleration the catholic lords agreed to support the act of attainder passed against o'neill and o'donnell together with their aiders and abettors and to approve of the wholesale confiscation that had taken place in ulster in vain did florence conry archbishop of tuam call upon the catholic members to stand firm against such injustice his warning that if they consented to the robbery of their co-religionists of the north their own turn to be robbed would surely come fell upon deaf ears their loyalty to england had nerved them to draw their swords against o'neill and it nerved them also to assist chichester and davies to carry on the ulster plantations well might the latter boast in his letter to the earl of somerset that the service performed by this parliament was of such importance as greater has not been effected in any parliament of ireland these hundred years for first the new erected boroughs have taken place which will be perpetual seminaries of protestant burgesses since it is provided in the charters that the provost and twelve chief burgesses who are to elect all the rest must always be such as will take the oath supremacy next all the states of the kingdom have attained tyrone the most notorious and dangerous traitor that ever was in ireland whereof foreign nations will take notice because it has been given out that tyrone had left many friends behind him and that only the protestants wished his utter ruin besides this attainder settles the plantation of ulster chichester who had planned the plantation of ulster and who had enriched himself out of the spoils of the northern princes was removed from office in sixteen fifteen and was succeeded by sir oliver st john who came to ireland determined to support the anti-catholic campaign in a short time more than eighty of the best citizens of dublin were in prison because they refused the oath of supremacy and throughout the country jurors who refused to convict the catholics were themselves held prisoners so that the jails were soon full to overflowing immense sums were levied off both poor and rich for non-attendance at protestant religious service in the county cavan for example the fines for one year amounted to about eight thousand pounds while large sums were paid by the catholic noblemen for protection from the protestant inquisitors 
new plantations were undertaken on the lines of the ulster plantation in wexford longford king's county and leitrim though not having been carried out so thoroughly or so systematically as the former they had not the same measure of success all catholic noblemen succeeding to property were obliged to take the oath of supremacy though apparently they could procure exemption from this test by the payment of a fine but the court of wards took care that minors should be entrusted to protestant guardians and should be sent if possible to trinity college by means such as these elizabeth and james succeeded in protestantizing a certain number of the heirs to irish estates proclamations were issued once more against the clergy both secular and regular and so violent was the persecution that the bishops of ireland addressed a petition to the catholic rulers of europe and especially to the king of spain asking them to intercede with james on behalf of his irish catholic subjects sixteen seventeen the negotiations for the marriage of prince charles to a spanish princess made it necessary for the king to be more guarded in his religious policy in ireland oliver st john who had shown himself to be such a bitter enemy of the catholics was removed from office and lord falkland was sent over as deputy in sixteen twenty two rumours were afloat on all sides that his policy was to be one of toleration the protestants were alarmed and at the installation of the new deputy september sixteen twenty two james usher then protestant bishop of meath taking at his text he beareth not the sword in vain preached a violent sermon in favour of religious persecution primate hampton wrote immediately to the preacher reproving him for his imprudence asking him to explain away what he had said about the sword and advising him to spend more of his time in his own diocese of meath where matters were far from being satisfactory on the return of charles from spain a new proclamation was issued sixteen twenty four ordering all titulary popish archbishops bishops vicar-generals abbots priors deans jesuits friars seminary priests and others of that sect made or ordained by authority derived from the see of rome or other foreign parts to depart from the kingdom within forty days under pain of his majesty's indignation and penalties if any of these dared to remain or if any persons dared to receive them the offenders were to be lodged in prison to the end such further order may be taken for their punishment as by us shall be thought fit a full account of the position of the catholics of ireland is given in a letter written from dublin in sixteen twenty three catholic minors were compelled to accept the oath of supremacy before they could get letters of freedom from the court of wards established sixteen seventeen all mayors magistrates officials etc of corporate towns were commanded to take the oath under penalty of having their towns disenfranchised priests were arrested and kept in prison laymen were punished by sentences of excommunication and by fines for non-attendance at protestant worship they were summoned before the consistorial courts for having had their children baptized by the priests and were punished with the greatest indignities catholics were forbidden to teach school and catholic parents were forbidden to send their children abroad the catholic inhabitants of Dragita were indicted before a protestant jury and having been found guilty of recusancy they stood in danger of having all their property forfeited in louth the juries were ordered to draw up a list of recusants when three catholic jurors refused they were thrown into prison and obliged to give security to appear before the dublin star chamber and in Cavan, proceedings of a similar kind were taken. Amongst the distinguished bishops of the Irish Church at this period were Peter Lombard, Archbishop of Armagh, 1601-25, a native of Waterford, who studied at Oxford and Louvain, was appointed a professor at the latter seat of learning, took a very prominent part in the Congregatio de Auxilis, 
published some theological treatises together with an ecclesiastical history of ireland entitled de regno hiberniae sanctorum insula commentarius but who on account of the danger of stirring up still greater persecution never visited his diocese eugene matthews or mcmahon bishop of clogger sixteen o nine and archbishop of dublin sixteen eleven who did splendid work for the irish church by the decrees passed in the provincial synod at kilkenny sixteen fourteen as well as by his successful efforts for the foundation of the pastoral college at louvain david o'kearney appointed to cashel sixteen o three as successor to the martyred archbishop of hurley who though hunted from place to place continued to fill the duties of his office till about the year sixteen eighteen when he went to rome and florence conry archbishop of tuam a franciscan who served with the army of the northern princes and who was specially detested by the english government on account of his loyal defence of o'neill not being allowed to return to ireland he devoted himself to the study of theology and was the author of several very important works some of which were not however free from the suspicion of something akin to jansenism by far the most useful book he composed was the celebrated irish catechism published at louvain in sixteen twenty two during the opening years of the reign of charles i sixteen twenty five to forty nine the persecution was much less violent and as charles was married to a french catholic princess and as he had promised solemnly not to enforce the laws against catholics it was hoped that at long last they might expect toleration the distinguished franciscan thomas fleming son of the baroness slain who had received his education in the irish franciscan college at louvain was appointed archbishop of dublin sixteen twenty three and arrived in ireland two years later he was able to report that the conduct of the catholics not only in dublin but throughout ireland was worthy of every praise and to point to the fact that many who made the pilgrimage to st patrick's purgatory in laldurg were obliged to return without satisfying their pious desires because the island was so crowded that there was no room for them to land chapels were opened in some of the less pretentious streets in dublin communities of religious orders took up fixed residence in the capital and the jesuits summoned home some of their ablest teachers to man a catholic university which they opened in back lane sixteen twenty seven the government stood in need of money to equip and support a new army then considered necessary on account of the threatening attitude of france and in order to obtain funds a large body both of the protestant and catholic nobility were invited to come to dublin for discussion they were offered certain concessions or graces in return for a subsidy and to placate the catholic peers it was said that the fines for non-attendance at church would not be levied and that they might expect tacit toleration the very mention of toleration filled the protestant bishops with alarm and considering the fact that they were dependent upon coercion for whatever congregations they had their rage is not unintelligible james usher who had become protestant primate of armagh convoked an assembly of the bishops they declared that the religion of the papists is superstitious and idolatrous their church in respect of both apostatical to give them therefore a toleration or to consent that they may freely exercise their religion and profess their faith and doctrine is a grievous sin and that in two respects for it is to make ourselves accessory not only to their superstitions idolatries and heresies and in a word to all the abominations of popery but also which is the consequent of the former to the perdition of the seduced people which perish in the deluge of catholic apostasy to grant them toleration in respect of any money to be given or contribution to be made by them is to set religion to sale and with it the souls of the people whom christ our saviour hath redeemed with his most precious blood 
the irish deputies arrived in london to seek a confirmation of the graces at the very time that the third parliament of charles sixteen twenty seven was petitioning him to put in force the laws against the recusants the members of the english house of commons complained that religious communities of men and women had been set up in dublin and in several of the larger cities that ireland was swarming with jesuits friars and priests that the people who attended formerly the protestant service had ceased to attend that in dublin there were thirteen mass-houses and that papists were allowed to act as army officers and papists were being trained as soldiers in these circumstances the catholic members of the deputation consented to abandon their claims for full toleration though it was understood that the fines levied on account of absence from protestant service would not be enforced but they were promised that catholic lawyers would be allowed to practice without being obliged to take the oath of supremacy in return for the promised graces which were to be ratified immediately in parliament the irish nobles promised to pay a sum of one hundred and twenty thousand pounds for the support of the new army the promised parliament was not held nor were the graces conceded either to the irish generally or to the catholics still there was no active persecution for some time the provincial of the carmelites in dublin was able to report to the propaganda sixteen twenty nine that all the ecclesiastics now publicly perform their sacred functions and prepare suitable places for offering the holy sacrifice and that with open doors they now preach to the people say mass and discharge all their other duties without being molested by any one the carmelites he wrote had a large church but not sufficient to contain one-sixth of the congregation the people flocked in crowds to confession and holy communion the franciscans dominicans capuchins and jesuits were hard at work and the parishes were supplied with parish priests who resided in their districts and were supported by the voluntary offerings of the people from a report of the year sixteen twenty seven it is clear that the dominicans had over fifty priests of their order in ireland together with several novices and students but already the enemies of the catholic religion were at work and as a result a proclamation was issued by lord falkland in sixteen twenty nine commanding that all monasteries convents colleges and religious houses should be dissolved that all religious and priests should cease to teach or to perform any religious service in any public chapel or oratory or to teach in any place whatsoever in the kingdom and that all the owners of religious houses and schools should apply them to other uses without delay sixteen twenty nine at first no notice was taken of this proclamation in dublin or in any of the cities of ireland usher wrote to complain of the unreverent manner in which the proclamation was made in drogheda it was done in scornful and contemptuous sort a drunken soldier being first set up to read it and then a drunken sergeant of the town making the same to seem like a may game the priests and friars merely closed the front doors of the churches he said but the people flocked to the churches as usual by private passages lord falkland does not seem to have made any determined effort to carry out the royal proclamation in dublin but unfortunately he was recalled in sixteen twenty nine and in the interval from his departure till the arrival of sir thomas wentworth sixteen thirty two loftus viscount of ely and lord cork were appointed as lord justices immediately the persecution began the protestant archbishop of dublin accompanied by a body of soldiers made a raid upon the carmelite church in cook street while mass was being celebrated on st stephen's day destroyed the altar and statues and seized two of the priests but the people set upon the archbishop and the soldiers and rescued the prisoners their troops were called out at once and several of the dublin aldermen were lodged in prison most of the churches were seized and the jesuit university was given over to trinity college attacks of a similar kind were made on the houses and churches of the regular clergy in cork waterford limerick 
and in various other parts of the country. An order was issued by the Lord's Justices that St. Patrick's Purgatory, together with St. Patrick's Bed and all the vaults, cells, and all other houses and buildings, should be demolished, and that the superstitious stones and materials should be cast into the law. Catholic deputies hastened to London to lay their grievances before the king, but though he was not unwilling to help them, he found it difficult to do much for them on account of the strong anti-Catholic feeling in England. Queen Henrietta Maria did appeal to the new deputy to restore St. Patrick's Purgatory, but, as it was situated, in the midst of the great Scottish plantation, he feared to grant her request at the time. Lord Cork reported that he had set up two houses of correction in dissolved friaries in which the beggarly youths are taught trades. But soon the king and Wentworth grew alarmed about the storm that the justices were creating in Ireland. The Catholic lords threatened that unless an end was put to the persecution, which was contrary to the graces that had been promised, they would refuse to pay the subsidy they had promised, and letters were sent both by the king and Wentworth, throwing the blame on Loftus and Lord Cork, and reproving them for what they had done. In 1632, Sir Thomas Wentworth, afterwards Earl of Strafford, arrived in Ireland as Lord Deputy. He was a strong man, intensely devoted to the king, and determined to reduce all parties in Ireland to subjection. In religion he was a high churchman of the school of Laud, and opposed to the Scotch Presbyterians of the north of Ireland, almost as much as to the Irish Catholics. From the beginning he was determined to raise the revenues of the crown in Ireland, to establish a strong standing army, and to secure the future peace of the country, by carrying out a scheme of plantations in Connaught and Munster, along the lines followed by the advisers of James I, in case of Ulster. One of his first acts after his arrival in Ireland was to commission Dr. John Bramhall, afterwards Protestant Bishop of Derry and Primate, to hold an inquiry into the state of the Protestant Church. The latter, after having made some investigations, informed Archbishop Laud that he found it difficult to say whether the churches were more ruinous and sordid, or the people irreverent, in Dublin that one parochial church in Dublin had been converted into a stable, another had become a nobleman's mansion, while a third was being used as a tennis court, of which the vicar acted as keeper. The vaults of Christ's church had been leased to Papists, as tippling rooms for beer, wine, and tobacco, so that the congregation stood in danger of being poisoned by the fumes, and the table for the administration of Holy Communion was made, an ordinary seat for maids and apprentices. The inferior sorts of ministers were below all degrees of contempt in respect of their poverty and their ignorance, and it was told him that one bishop held three and twenty benefices with care of souls. Wentworth lost no time in trying to raise money for the army, but many of the lords, both Catholic and Protestant, were so annoyed at the refusal to confirm the graces and at the delay in calling the Parliament that had been promised that Wentworth was forced to make some concession. Parliament was convoked to meet in 1634, and the Lord Deputy nominated his own supporters in the boroughs, so as to counterbalance the representation from the counties, which representation he could not in all cases control. The Catholics were strong in the lower house, particularly, but care was taken that they should be in a minority. The main question was the granting of subsidies, but several of the Protestants and all the Catholics demanded that the graces should first be confirmed. Both Protestant and Catholic landowners were interested in safeguarding the titles to their property by having it enacted that sixty years' possession should be regarded as a sufficient proof of ownership. 
as such an enactment would have upset all wentworth's plans for a wholesale plantation he succeeded in resisting such a measure and partly by threats partly by underhand dealings with particular individuals he obtained a grant of generous subsidies without any confirmation of the graces End of chapter 10, part 1